Welcome to the Cop Doc Podcast. This podcast explores police leadership issues and innovative ideas. The Cop Doc shares thoughts and ideas as he talks with leaders in policing, communities, academia, and other government agencies. And now, please join Dr. Steve Morielli and industry thought leaders as they share their insights and experience on the Cop Doc Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. This is Steve Morielli again, and you're listening to the Cop Doc Podcast. I'm here in Boston, and I have the opportunity again to talk with Inspector Andrew Lacey, who is in the Emerald Isle in Ireland today. He is a member of the Garda on Garda Siachana. You know, I never say that right. You say it, Andy. Yeah. Garda Siachana. Siachana. Garda Garda Shiakana. So thank you very much. So this is the second opportunity we have to talk with Andy because there's so much to talk about. And today we want to talk a bit about human rights and what things that you, Andy, feel that is necessary to improve policing. But again, before we start, tell people about who you are, where you are, what you're doing. Hey, Steve. Yeah, good to talk to you again. Uh, and thanks again for having me on. Yeah, I'm an inspector here in uh, Irish Police in Garda Siakana for over 20 years. I'm based back in Limerick now after spending time in different parts of the country in Dublin and in training. I'm now I'm an inspector in a kind of a county division here in Limerick City and County uh, with you know approximately 80 police officers and a number two in a chain of command in that area. So yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. So what do you think about everything that's going on? And I understand that there is a new plan that was that was put together. There was a, a commission. Kathy O'Toole from the United States was the chair, and it was the, about the future of policing in Ireland. And there are a number of recommendations, much much like the 21st century policing study that was done by and report that was done by President Obama. And some are aspirational, but what are the things that you're looking at, you're working on to improve policing in Ireland? Yeah, so. The Future Commission of Policing report was kind of worked on over two years, kind of a root and branch look at at our whole organization with a committee with some expertise in different areas on it. So they come out and made a number of recommendations, such as identifying that human rights is the foundation of our policing, looking at our national security and the responsibilities we have there, complete overhaul of our accountability and oversight structure to make sure that there's more efficiency in that area and that it should be, Garda Shirkana should be structured and managed support frontline policing. That was a key key aspect of it, that we got, got those people on the ground and got the adequate support for them and to recognise that the people within our organisation are its greatest resource. Uh, also, no one went beyond that and looked at, it should be information led, looked at innovation, technology and all the kind of additional add-ons that we need to work on as an organisation. So that, that was part of it. There's kind of micro branches out of that and I suppose if you were asking me what are the kind of most important aspects that, that's coming out of it, I suppose it's the one thing would be that uh, kind of sharing the burden that's on members of Garda Siakana and we're, we seem to be a kind of a de facto responder for so many different types of societal issues and different things that society brings. So in fairness, one of the, the recommendations that we need to have this multi-agency approach and I, I would have mentioned to earlier about the CIT team, but that, that's just one element of it that all areas of policing should be able to recognise and cut off where we, we're not, the, should be the lead. We should support by all means, but there is times when local agencies and 
local governments, they need to take the lead on on different functions and responsibilities. And that, that can be a good thing. So what are you involved in now that as an inspector? What are the things and what are the agencies that you're working with on a, on a regular basis? Well, outside of the division, I suppose, from a national perspective, I said crisis intervention team project that's been piloted here in Limerick is probably the big one. And it's come from a, a litany of different reports over nearly a decade where they've, they've asked for this. They said that mental health and policing needs a new focus. It needs to be health led. At the moment, it's police orientated. They want to head towards a kind of diversion away from custodial uh, detention and bring it to the suitable care and have suitable support. So essentially what we're doing is we're engaging with our local health executive here in, in Limerick, but it'll be a national one when it's rolled out and we're devising a plan where we'll, we'll co-locate and co-response with health agencies. So effectively, we're hoping to design a project down here where our police officers will attend calls with healthcare professionals, whether psychiatric nurses or mental health nurses or some sort of ER care that will go to the scene. But also on the background, what we're working on is what's called a support hub. So pretty much in a kind of a monthly or periodic t- time frame, we meet with all the various agencies, whether it's councils, it's addiction services, it's mental health services, homeless, all these different parties that have a role to play in the kind of, you know, the approach to mental health and dealing with persons suffering from mental health. Because when I talk to anyone about this, uh, it's important that you say we're looking to improve the area. Nobody's ever going to find that magic potion that will completely solve the problem of of dealing with persons in mental health. It's about enhancing the service and identifying who is the right people and to make sure that it's led from a health perspective as opposed to a policing perspective. Because too many times, I'm sure it correlates with you guys and you're ahead of the game in terms of the CIT approach that there's people ending up in custodial settings or go through the criminal justice setting and process that don't need to be there and shouldn't be there. And it's about creating that kind of a project or that solution to that. And it's also for the benefit of our officers as well, because these are the, the ones that are going responding to calls and they need the, the extra skill sets. So the, very much the training part of it that goes with it, the additional skill sets, how to recognize some mental health ailments and also the skills and, and the follow-up care that they have the knowledge now to go and deal with it with that information sharing piece with the healthcare professional that goes with you. So the beauty of this is that we're now getting to engage with so many different jurisdictions in Scotland, PSNI, yourselves in Framingham and Boston and the Toronto Police. And we're getting to, we're cherry picking to a certain degree and trying to find a right mix for the Irish context because every jurisdiction has its own existing system. So it's about building the pillars on top of that and by using best practice internationally. And we've linked in with the University of Limerick in terms of an academic partner just to give us that integrity in terms of pre and post analysis and just keeping us in check in terms of is, is it really best practice and evidence led as we do it. So that's that's the big one for me. You know, other than that, what I'd see from an international perspective is the human rights element and then getting that embedded in the organization. So, so let me, we've let actually me, seen, let, me, let me interrupt yeah. you about that. Let's go back for just a moment about the co-response, the CIT. I'm very lucky as as you know, we're by the way, we're talking to Andrew Lacey, Inspector Andrew Lacey from the Garda in Ireland and we're talking about issues in policing. But Andy, you recall we talked at some point in time and I introduced you Sarah Abbott. Sarah Abbott is a professor and a clinician here in Massachusetts and she has been a guest. And what happens in Framingham is the co-response that you're talking about puts a clinician in with a single police officer. And, and most of our response cars are single police officers, not 
two police officers. How will that translate to you? Are most of your response cars one or two persons? We would be two. Yeah, predominantly two. COVID saw a little shift in that for obvious reasons. But yeah, we would be two. And the, the choice we're faced with from the Irish perspective is we're kind of at the threshold now of making some actual practical and operational decisions on the whole thing. So what we're looking to decide is do we train up a small cohort of really specialised officers who will get you know, a significant chunk of training and they will be deemed the, the, the experts in that area? Or number two, do we train a percentage of our entire division? And we're kind of leaning towards the latter because we're looking for various reasons because we don't want it to become elite or specialised either. We want everyone to have a general training. But what we're looking at is maybe training 15 to 20% of our officers, which will be 600 wide force. So um, 15, 20% of that across all units. And then on a kind of rota basis, they will be selected for duty on tomorrow night to be the co-responder with our mental health or psychiatric nurse. So that's what's what it's going to look like. We'll probably have two two officers and a mental health clinician. Now that mental health clinician will be based in the police station and that's what we're really trying to achieve and I know that's what you do. But you, what The benefit you have in the States is you, you're kind of the ability to contract professionals and private practice. We probably will not be doing that because we're very much kind of knitted in with a national health executive like the National Police Force. So we won't have that luxury of probably engaging third party expertise in terms of psychiatric but that's the model we're looking at so is it possible that a response to a call that you believe is mental health related uh, would have three people showing up in a car or would it be the two and then somebody responding in their own vehicle potentially from the clinical side at the moment i'd say one vehicle so with the two and the one the, the, the theory would be that 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 mental health nurse would be in the car and like we discussed previously with sarah they'd have access to some sort of mobility device that would say i'm at mr zed's house i can see that he's got prior history and that's fed into the operational officers who are dealing with the scene that mental health nurse might have an actual role to play at the scene themselves but it's about informed decision making if we can see that that person was in two weeks ago instead of that person maybe ended up in a custodial setting or an arrest can that person be led to an appointment next Tuesday with some appropriate supports that goes with it so that's kind of the model that that's what we're after so one of the things Andy you said was a mobility device and tell us about what that means well mobility devices just have an on-scene technology that would enhance our decision making for the officers there and better prepare them for what what they're dealing with. So there might be some piece of information that normally we wouldn't have that access to. And that's what mobility is all about. That's what what technology is about in policing. And we're very much in our infancy as a police organization in terms of mobility and technology. And yes, we're kind of going uh, in a positive direction in relation to traffic stops and all that. But in terms of actually on-scene technology in cars, we've a bit to go and that's been recognised by the future commission in policing and you touched on earlier that I had the opportunity to go with the LAPD two years ago in accompaniment with them with a guy called Sergeant uh, Clay with the LAPD in the 77 precinct and that was an amazing experience Joey Clay was his name sorry amazing experience for me to get to see that side of it especially it was the biggest take I had from it was the, was the technology piece they had their body worn cameras uh, that alone but then even from a, a website point of view what they put up in their website in terms of public sharing, the transparency of it. And I know they've had their issues over over the decades and that's the reason for it. But to look at their oversight and the review process and using technology for that, they pretty much have their own YouTube channel and they could amazingly give you a debrief on an incident that happened two days ago and showed you the footage, give you the, the radio call. This is it's a totally alien kind of concept to us here in Ireland in terms of that side of it. Not that we're not progressive in certain areas, it's just that whole transparency thing. And our, I suppose our criminal justice model is a very it's we're common law we're kind of a due process
process model. So even the whole media and reporting around crime and policing in Ireland is very much guarded compared to what we see in the States. So we're kind of England and the UK are kind of in the middle. You guys are well out there in terms of putting it all on show for everybody. And this is what's happening. We're a little bit more conservative in that point of view. And we let everything go through the courts. We let it run its course. We're conscious of prejudice in terms of trials. And then afterwards, it's kind of reported on. So you've used the term human rights repeatedly. And we don't use that term all that often in policing. Certainly, it's important. But we talk about constitutional rights. What does that mean to the Garda? human rights and to the people of Ireland. Yeah, we're, we're very much rights focused and you have to bear in mind that Ireland, Ireland has its own constitution first and foremost and a very extensive one that's very deep in terms of the articles that it came within it. So arising of our own constitution, we have a large number of rights that are associated with law, protection of the dwelling, the right to trial, all the that you would see yourselves in your own constitution. But on top of that, then we have we have layers of legislation that give individuals rights, whether it's victims' rights, rights to crimes to be investigated properly. There's a statutory layer. And then beyond that, again, with the European Convention of Human Rights, which is kind of the, the overseer of them all. So, and there could be some overlap. So this is the kind of environment that Irish police officers work in, three different layers of statutes and policy and, and restrictions and rights that really feed into everything that we do. We have a decision-making model that will take all those considerations in. We have, as I said, investigative steps we take in terms of arrest, detention, search. All that stuff is all human rights-based. Before we go do it, we got to factor it in. we got to make sure it's part of our decision-making process. And there's also a significant redress system in the oversight, complaints mechanism, and the civil courts as well, that rights are very much endorsed. So we're extremely conscious of them. And that's why it's flagged in the project. But we're very, I would say very not we're a knowledgeable organization in relation to rights we do we do know what goes with it and in terms of learning and training now as you're aware as touched on previously we have a whole program in around and um, the teaching of that and linking in with the universities and getting that extra critical engagement assessment around rights and the european perspective that goes with it let's talk about real-time issues that's covid in ireland and you know what we hear we're moving towards more vaccinations i just got my second vaccination and so the there is some sort of relief, but there seems to be a little bit of a stutter step in Ireland and that you're still closed and have been for a long time. I'd like you to talk about the planning, the change in policy, the work that you as the police organization have had to do uh, to deal with social distancing and masking and closure. I understand the pubs are still closed, especially one of the comments that you sent me in an email was, I bet you'll have a better time on St. Patrick's Day than we will. And I think that that was probably because there was no way to celebrate. So talk about that. Yeah, it's, it's look, it's been a, a draining year on, on everyone. And policing, I think, has been right in the middle of it. So yeah, I think you put, obviously put health care and nursing is the one that impacted the most severely and I think everyone's aware of that but I think policing is not too far away in terms of what we've had to do and what we had to do literally overnight so difficulty in Ireland at the moment is we've got a we've had a number of false dawns our vaccination program isn't quite as quick as you guys or even our neighbours in the UK are that much ahead of us so now we're facing into prolonged another lockdown so no pubs no retail schools only back this week so that's you know when you're hearing that you're probably going God I 
remember that time a couple of months back. So that's where we're at. So from a policing perspective, we went from, I suppose, as you as you know, overnight into this world of restrictions and measures and all that. And we had to we had to rely on legislation again because we're a common law jurisdiction. We had to kind of wait for that to go through its process. But we might have had legislation last March or April, but in terms of enforceability, and this is the biggest issue that uh, that I've experienced and we've experienced is the enforceability issue of it. So an expectation from the public that this needs to be done and can I look into the police to make sure it's done but actually we're not having that actual enforceability there so we're trying to do everything you know as I said at the start we like to police by consent and that's the ethos it's all about encouraging and explaining but it's got now because the fatigue factor is set in over that period of time people have kind of had enough and they want to see results and that so seven or eight months into the legislation being there and kind of well we don't really want to use it it's there now we're at a stage where enforceability is, is happening it's happening a lot they're looking for returns and the stats are pretty much shown it's there and the difficulty we face now is that we give the public and the government give the public kind of an end game deadline and now it looks like that we're going that's going to be prolonged again but i think that that's the big thing is that the public not understanding the forcibility you talk about social distancing while we didn't have powers there it's conveying that to the public the do's and don'ts and we going back to human rights we're very conscious that we don't want to overstep or trample on rights of individuals by overstepping the mark and we'll be called out for that then on the other side so it's really difficult it's a balancing act the law and the legislation and this goes beyond COVID needs to be end user designed and I, I really am a big believer in that and we're only starting to see it quite recently where law reform commissions are looking now to maybe speak to police officers engage them and ask well what's it going to look like when it's actually at that stage where you need to implement law or make decisions as opposed to enacting and then seeing over a period of time that there's problems with this and it ain't working um, so that's that's been a big one look we're going to look back in years to come and say that the wrongs and the rights out of it but it's been difficult but that communication piece around enforceability and what our actual role is and to be part of the effort but not exceed that too much while we're letting people live within the context of the regulations as well. So I presume that you're having conversations with your patrol officers with your entire staff to talk about so that they understand how to be reasonable through this and yet meet the mandate to react to calls and such. What kinds of discussions have you had about that in, I call them roll calls, but before people roll out? Yeah, we do a lot of online briefings with our supervisory sergeants kind of, you know, a weekly basis. At the start, it was, funny enough, it was it was daily. It was changing so fast. We had daily interactions with them and because we were, we were feeding in the information coming from a national perspective and statutory instruments, which are changes in law and policies that were coming down. And then we had workplace changes that were massively significant as well. Single occupancy of cars body systems, health and safety in around or the environments we worked in and all that stuff just happened so much and then when it actually did hit and funny enough it was the second wave was the one that really impacted us just at Christmas there with a with a 50 to 60 percent wipeout at one stage over a two to three week period and what, what, trying to a, what does that mean a wipeout? As COVID sickness actually uh, getting the virus or close contact whatever so with a 50 to 60 percent wipeout in our in a particular part of the district which which meant implementation of contingency plans and looking to get resources from elsewhere and all that kind of stuff. But telling them from a day-to-day basis, you know, to a man and woman, they were they were outstanding in terms of, like, you know, holidays were banned. We went to 12-hour shifts from 10-hour shifts overnight and everyone rolled up the sleeves and got on with it. So a lot of good things will come out of it too from an operational point of view. We're hoping to keep that 12-hour roster, but even the, the technological advancements we did in that time, and as I touched on earlier, the communication pieces was quite good from an organisational perspective. So well, it was a tough year. There will be learnings and and hopefully by June we'll be we'll be some way back functioning. So you just said something about no re- 
retail. What does that mean? No, all shops are closed. closed. Okay. Still closed. Yeah, it's only click and collect. What about food stuff, food places? Yeah, for food stuff for exception. Yeah, that's only. But retail closed and uh, normal shops, unless it's uh, essential, um, they're all all still closed. We've got the the five kilometer still in in force. We can't go outside our five kilometers unless you have a reasonable excuse for it. Can't travel beyond 5K? Yep. Wow. I didn't realize that. And that's interesting. So, Andy, you're telling me every pub in Ireland is closed and it's not open through the back door. (laughs) I'm telling you, believe it or not, that's that's where we are. Where we do, funny enough, and we have a loophole last week about takeaway pints. Takeaway pints of beer are still, (laughs) would you believe, but uh, all sorts of uh, interpretation around that. If it's consumed within 100 yards, you can be prosecuted. So you work it out, Steve. Get your pint. (laughs) So there's got to be somebody, there's got to be somebody somebody there that has drawn lines to say I'm 101 <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to touch me right <laughs> don't you know it don't you know it <laughs> so yeah, let, yeah. Let, let's let's talk about officer wellness talked about CIT but we let's talk about the impact of what your officers and officers see and the cumulative effect and what the Garda is doing to address that? Very topical, uh, very good question. And we already kind of touched on vicarious trauma that goes with it, but like that, uh, operation and occupational stress. I think one of your other interviewees spoke about occupational stress. And that's interesting. I, I do find that interesting because that's part of the problem with that administrative loads and all that new stuff is coming. But I, I know your questions on the, what we see and the traumatic events and stuff. And, and they're quite frequent. And we live in an area that's kind of rural in nature. So we're prone to bad injury or fatal accidents and sadly suicides as a problem and all that goes with, with, with policing and trauma. So, you know, what you can do we have we've a peer i'm a peer supporter myself my own superintendent's a peer supporter that's like a one-on-one individual kind of call and touch and base with an individual after a particular incident and then we have a referral system to an employee assistance officer who's probably one of the most overworked individuals in our division in terms of dealing with incidents and personal situations that are there at the moment beyond that we from an organization perspective we made some progress in the last couple of years where they got a 24-hour counseling service private service stood up so that there is some sort of a referral. It's not complete open-ended just to pick up a phone call, but there is a service there that someone can be referred to and get a number of sessions and that's covered by, by your medical insurance and goes with it. So baby steps, but um, there's so much more we can do because it, it's a problem, obviously, that will be time memorial for policing. But it's a, it's a tough one. And like one thing I'm, I might have spoken to you before about as well is we, we kind of had a cop culture. We kind of had a, a negativity around the connotations of cop culture and we used to use it as a way of coping mechanism and that kind of stuff and it's kind of been attacked over time rightly so in terms of some of the negative areas that it could be associated with bullying harassment and all that and I get that but there's also an element of it that you'd like to enshrine a bit more and you'd be fearful that it might disappear and that's kind of camaraderie ship and togetherness that we would see in kind of extreme situations where we're faced with adversity and I had it here in, in the Limerick Division when we we're faced with that kind of feuding gangs and that kind of stuff and a group of cohort of detectives like over a period of time just went above and beyond but it was purely down to just determination and kind of protection around each other and just a drive and all that went with that was really positive and you probably saw it with your, your 9-11 experience as well and to be a little part of me that would fear that we're losing that and professionalization and specialization and all this reform is kind of putting a little bit of a wedge in there and just it'd be something that I think it goes hand in hand with wellness and while you think you might be doing the right thing all the time you know this is a little kind of part of policing that we should try and protect more and we shouldn't lose it and it, it's something that we should you know respect 
and realize how important it is to us as, as police forces and, and our profession. Well, one of the things that you were talking about, and I don't want to glance over it, but is those those organizational stressors. When we're not communicated with, when somebody's saying one thing and doing another, it is very frustrating because I think the men and women wear blue in Ireland and here are generally well-intentioned. They want to help. They want to help people, but they don't want to be left out. So communication becomes important. And we've talked about that. Let's wind down, Andy, on this segment. Let me ask you a couple of questions. You have just finished reading and writing and researching, and pretty soon you will defend your dissertation, hopefully to a positive manner, and we'll welcome you into the academic side of things or the doctoral side. of. Things. But now, what books do you seek out to read? What do you focus on? If you have a chance to read something, what do you focus on? I like... Uh I like my, my autobiographies, my sports performance, sports psychology, that kind of stuff. I'm very much interested in that area. History as well. I like my his, my Irish history in particular and looking back to those times and individuals during that time and what policies and different changes drew, drove on individuals and, and change within Irish society of a big history and our big interest in that and history in general. I find myself um, getting lost in programs there on TV as well. It's, it's a big one for me. And sadly, I'll finish by saying law text. I I do have a still have an inkling towards law and and jurisprudence and decisions of the courts and how that impacts and stuff. So that's that's me in a nutshell. Not not overly exciting, Steve, but that's my interest in 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 the books area. Need to do some more reading. I think now that this PhD is hopefully behind me, I might free up some time for leisurely reading. How about hobby? Hobbies back to sport again. I'm in coaching nonstop for the last 12 years. Funny enough, I did it the way around. I started with seniors and colleges and now I'm back down under sixes. So I don't know what the theory behind that was, but um, I might go back up the other way again. I go up and go down. But, but what, what, what are you coaching? Uh, rugby and Gaelic football. So you might have seen a bit of that. So it's Gaelic sport. So those two, rugby union and, and Gaelic football. So 15 aside sports, plenty of physicality and plenty of hits and skill I levels. Well, pretty I good. used to playing small bit small bit junior b it's called over here it's like to be kind of a gladiatorial taking your life into your own hands type of level um yeah <laughs> that's still, okay yeah. Time, time to pack it in, time where, to pack it in. <laughs> where do you get your news my news I, I'm, a, I'm a twitter guy generally twitter I, i've gone off facebook gone off those ones just just too much uh i think it's gone down the wrong direction twitter is going down that direction but just about hanging in there for kind of a sports perspective and actually placing and stuff to some good guys to follow there and um and pages but um, that's, that's generally it, yeah. Me. So the last question is about podcasts. You're listening to the podcast, the Cop Talk podcast. We've talked about it. What do you get from hearing what's going on here in the United States when you're listening to this particular podcast? And then what other podcasts do you listen to? I, I've listened to all, I think it's the 10 you've, you've aired now. I've listened to all 10 and every one of them. I have notes taken down and I've really picked up so much. As much as the terminology, the language, but also the experiences. And as I said, Previously, the correlation between police forces is, is incredible, even though you, you have so many differences over there when, when the, the people side of it and the leadership and management side of it, it's it's it all overlaps and you hear the same things. And that's not a criticism of the podcast. It just shows what's important and what what's important comes out all of us. You're my number one, Steve. You're my number one podcast. Listen at the moment. I've got uh, two or three others and I kind of going back harping to sport again. But um, yeah, I've got a crime world one here in Ireland as well. That's a bit of a guilty pleasure one gangland kind of stuff and listen to the story of the craze and the kind of different stories around the world but it's a it's a good listen when you're out for a jog or, or a listen but all learning Steve everything is all helping the, the overall progress and molding the future as they say so all good that's great 
So we're winding down. You've been listening to Inspector Andrew Lacey from the Garda in the Republic of Ireland and the Emerald Isle. And this is Steve Morielli. You've been listening to the Cop Doc Podcast. I'd ask you to listen to other episodes coming up. Thank you very much for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Cop Doc Podcast with Dr. Steve Morielli. Steve is a retired law enforcement practitioner and manager turned academic and scholar from Worcester State University. Please tune into the Cop Doc Podcast for regular episodes of interviews with thought leaders in policing. Hi, everybody. A few things before you leave. First, thanks for listening. I'm so gratified to see the downloads rising in the last few months, not only from the U.S., but from across the globe. It's surprising and humbling to find students, colleagues, and practitioners listening. We have a growing number of listeners in Canada, Ireland, England, Northern Ireland, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, and Colombia. We appreciate your time and energy and welcome feedback. Please feel free to reach out to me by email at copdoc.podcast at gmail.com. That's copdoc.podcast at gmail.com. Check out our website at copdocpodcast.com. Please take the time to share our podcast with your friend if you find value in the discussions. We've had so many amazing guests and more to come who have shared their wisdom, their thoughts, their viewpoints, and their innovative ideas. Most importantly, a huge thank you to those of you who show up for work in policing every day, not knowing the kinds of calls that you'll be sent on or the kinds of situations you'll find yourself in. You risk your lives for people, many of whom you don't know. And for that, we owe you a debt of gratitude, a big thanks, and hope you stay safe, healthy, and look forward to hearing from you and hope you'll continue to listen to upcoming episodes of the Cop Talk Podcast. Thanks very much.